Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 326 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the top five signs of taking a bad tennis lesson. How do you know if the lesson you're taking is really, truly moving you in the right direction or you're just wasting your time? I have thought long and hard about this episode because the last thing I want to do is is be critical of my own my own market, my own, you know, colleagues in the sport of tennis. And so I'm going to be very, very specific here and particular about how I explain things. But these, I, I feel very strongly about all five of these elements. And if you steer clear of these things, then your chances of improvement are dramatically higher. I believe that 100%. Before we get to today's topic, I want to thank all of you who have checked out the Shankcast. That's our brand new podcast. You can check it out by going to iTunes or to the podcast app on your phone and just typing in Shankcast. That's S-H-A-N-K-C-A-S-T, all one word, Shankcast. And it's a new podcast featuring Kevin and Megan and myself. It's a fun, entertaining, lighthearted, but also insightful and very deep show. And we're kind of going for entertainment first, but we want to talk about topics that can help players enjoy the sport of tennis even more, uh, have more insights and perspective about what makes it great, how they can play better. And so it's doing really well. We're loving making the episodes, so definitely go check it out. Uh, you can also go to EssentialTennis.com slash Shank, and that will direct you right to the, the podcast feed on iTunes. So let's get into today. Five signs of a bad tennis lesson. First of all, I want to make it very clear that I'm not being critical of tennis professionals or tennis coaches in general. There's lots of great coaches out there who are very good at what they do that I respect tremendously that are out there on the court day in and day out working hard with their students and they care deeply about the success of their students. I'm not here to cast a shadow on, you know, from me and my like ivory tower of YouTube that, you know, normal lessons are bad or that all other coaches don't know the right way to teach tennis or anything like that. That is not at all within our philosophy. There's a tremendous amount of excellent coaches out there. So I want to be very clear about that up front. What I'm going to talk about today is a particular flavor of tennis lesson, a particular style of lesson that is extremely pervasive within the club and, and lesson-taking environment. And it's generally provided by a particular flavor of teaching pro. And it's one that's familiar to all tennis players. And there's actually a, a time and a place for this type of lesson and this type of coach. It's not all bad. And I'm going to be very particular about when it's okay and when it's not. And I want to be clear that I used to teach lessons in this basic format. I used to go about things very much in the way that we're going to describe today. It wasn't until I broke free of the confines that is a normal tennis lesson and I started going down a different path for many years that I started really seeing things very differently. And there was some overlap there. You know, it was my frustration with the 
the status quo that really drove me to start publishing content in the first place. So there were many years that I was unsatisfied and I wanted things to be different, but there was just so much pushback in the traditional tennis lesson environment that I, I had to get out. I, I had to do my own thing. And most tennis players want those normal status quo lessons. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end. But for right now, I want to jump right into the top five signs. Sign number one, that you're taking a bad tennis lesson, is that in a 60-minute time frame, you work on your entire tennis game. And this is especially true if you just take a lesson here and there, and you're looking for guidance on how to improve your game, and maybe you're really struggling with a particular element. Maybe your serve has just been really, really tough for the last couple weeks or months. And so you go out there, you sign up for a lesson, you head out there with the coach, they ask you a few questions about your game. Maybe you do a little bit of short court, or maybe you go back to the baseline and just hit some rallies. And they're like, okay, okay, I, I see something here with your forehand. Let's work on your forehand. And so you spend 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes on your forehand. And they give you some, some tips. They give you some suggestions. And at the end of 5, 10, or 15 minutes, they're like, great, great, great. You're, you're hitting the ball great. Now let's move on to your backhand side. I saw something on your backhand side too. So I want you to, to work on X, Y, and Z. And again, they give you some tips, some, some drills to try. And at the end of 5, 10, or 15 minutes, it's all, it's all praise and thumbs up and awesome. You're, you're hitting the ball amazing. Now let's take a look at your volleys. And so you hit some volleys and they give you some, some tips on your forehand volley, some tips on your backhand volley. Maybe you hit a couple overheads. And so now we're at like 45 minutes past the hour. There's 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes left at, at the most. And so at the end, you hit some serves. And so they watch you warm up your serve for two, three, four minutes. They've got some, some suggestions for you, some tips. They, they have you try a drill or two. And at the end of five or 10 minutes, they're like, awesome, awesome. Like finish on a good serve and they high five you. And that's the end of the lesson. And this is how the vast majority of tennis lessons are given. And this is the, what the vast majority of tennis players want in a lesson. I want to be clear. I'm going to really dive into that at the end after we get through all five signs. But it's critical to understand that you'll never fundamentally change or improve your game within the framework of that type of lesson. Forehands, backhands, volleys, serves, and overheads, they're all complex movements that utilize the entire body coordinated in a particular way all at the same time. It has to be timed with the ball and positioning yourself. And there's so many different variables in play. And we all have habits, no matter how long you've been playing, even if you've only been playing for a couple weeks, you have core movement patterns. You have core athletic traits. You have core ways in which you've learned how to move your body. And that carries over to how you hold a tennis racket, how you swing a tennis racket. And those habits govern how we make movements on the court. And you are not changing those habits, and I am not changing those habits in 5, 10, 15 minutes, or 20 minutes per stroke. Now, what you can do is polish those strokes. You can take the habits that you already have and refine them a little bit in 10 or 15 minutes. You can kind of add on a little tip or a little trick or uh, a little surface-level tweak that helps you hit the ball 5% better. But what's not going to happen 
in those five, 10 or 15 minutes. And what's not going to happen focusing on four or five strokes in a 60 minute time period is over time, you're not going to hit the ball 50% better. You're certainly not going to improve dramatically, you know, in five, 10 years from now, be a hundred percent better than you are now. You're not going to go from three O to four O with that kind of mentality with maybe one very minor exception. And that would be if you're a world-class, highly trained athlete in some other skill or some other discipline, then it's maybe possible to have kind of surface level guidance and you more or less just kind of intuit the way forward and you figure out how to hit the ball more and more and more athletically every single time you go out and hit balls. Even if you don't really have a whole lot of guidance or a whole lot of input, you just have an innate way of kind of picking it up. And by the way, nobody's born with that. It would have to be trained and carried over from some other discipline. So if that's you, then congratulations. It is definitely not me, and it's definitely not the vast majority of tennis players. And so the solution here, I'm going to give a solution to all five elements that, that make up a, a poor tennis lesson. The solution is spending long periods of time narrowly focusing on one stroke at a time. Here at Essential Tennis, when players come out to work with us, whether it's in a, a three-coach-in-one-player environment where we're collaborating with a, a student or it's one-on-one, we routinely spend two or three hours on one stroke and very methodically, with a high level of focus, bring that movement from step to step to step to step and completely transform it from, from a, a stroke that looks one way to a stroke that looks completely different at the end of a couple hour period of time. That kind of transformation is what's necessary to make a big jump and level of play. And that does not happen quickly and it doesn't happen on accident unless you're a ridiculously talented world-class athlete. And it doesn't happen bouncing around from stroke to stroke to stroke every 10 or 15 minutes. So this is sign number one that you're taking a bad tennis lesson in a 60 minute period of time. You're working on three, four, five different shots and with a very kind of surface level focus and you're just kind of refining or tweaking instead of changing fundamental flaws. If you're listening right now and you're a 3-0, a 3-5 player and you have aspirations of being a 4-5 or, or or you know 4-5 or above, Surface level tweaks will not get you there. There are fundamental reasons, habits, reasons, that, uh, roadblocks that are keeping you from playing at that significantly higher level. Don't think that 3.5 to 4.5 is like a one level jump. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds of small jumps between those two very, very different levels of play. And so having a three or four or five stroke focus in an hour uh, is just not going to get you there. All right, sign number two that you're taking a bad tennis lesson is what I like to call instructional whack-a-mole. This is where maybe a coach is spending a good chunk of time. Maybe they're spending half an hour or 45 minutes on one stroke, but the focus within that stroke is jumping around from element to element to element. And this is unbelievably pervasive within normal tennis lessons. And it goes something like this. Maybe you, you walk onto the court 
and you tell the coach, hey, my backhand's really struggling. I need help with my backhand. And so you spend a whole hour on your backhand, which hardly ever happens, first of all, but let's just say it does happen. A typical lesson that would focus just on one element would actually focus on three or four or five sub-elements within that one stroke. And so the focus is jumping around and around and around like a merry-go-round from, from thing to thing. And your, your focus is being drawn from element to element. So maybe you'll kind of warm up your backhand. Coach will take a look and bring you up to the net and say, okay, what I'm, what I'm seeing here is that this is just a totally random example. What I'm seeing here is that you're really not bending your knees. And so you're, you're not getting down below the ball. You're not lifting the ball the way you need to. So let's go back there, rally again, and this time really focus on bending your knees. So you do that, and you feel like you're really dropping down lower. You're really using your legs better. You're lifting the ball, and the coach is saying, oh, that's great, that's great, nice job. But now remember, you also need to drop the racket head with your hands. Make sure you swing low to high and really really lift the ball up. Uh, bend your knees, but, but remember, swing low to high so that you, you point the racket up at the end and finish over your shoulder, whatever it is. And so you focus on that for a couple of minutes and the coach says, okay, great, great, great. Nice job. Nice job. You're swinging low to high, but now remember, you've got to complete the follow through so that the buck half of your racket is pointing towards the other side. And so you, you focus on that for a little while. And a couple of minutes later, the coach comes back and says, oh, that looks great. But remember, you're not bending your knees. That's what we started with. You're, you're totally forgetting about bending your knees. So you think about bending your knees for a while and it goes around and around and around. Here is just a fundamental truth, a fundamental principle of learning anything. You, you cannot multitask. Humans, generally speaking, we cannot multitask. Now, we, we're very, we can become very adept at switching quickly and being singularly focused and bouncing from thing to thing to thing. The email and then the text message and then the TV and then getting the popcorn out of the microwave. Like we can switch our, our focus very quickly. And some of us are very, very good at doing that within like a work environment or even an athletic environment. But you cannot simultaneously focus on bending your knees better, swinging low to high, finishing your, your swing and rotating your body all at the same time. You can choose one or you could even jump, you could try to jump very, very quickly from thing to thing within the span of one swing, but you will not be able to consciously focus on doing all of those at the same time. And so this instructional whack-a-mole kind of method methodology of coaching is like, okay, what is the sore thumb right now? Like what is popping out of the whack-a-mole machine at Chuck E. Cheese's right now? Oh, I'm going to bop that one. And then something else pops up and then you bop that one. And then something else pops up and you're just kind of cycling around and around and around. And this is something that a lot of players fall into this trap when they're trying to self-guide themselves to better tennis. They have a big checklist of things that are all very worthwhile and the coach, you know, again, like it's not like they're trying to provide an inf- inferior service. Everything they're talking about, they mean very well, and they all might be very true and important elements. But by asking the student to change their focus every couple seconds or every couple minutes, none of the things are being mastered. None of the elements are actually being learned. Learning requires long enough focus on a singular element so that it can start to become embedded. It can start to overwrite the old program for whatever that movement was and replace it with a new one. 
And that takes time and it takes patience and it takes dedication and narrow focus on one thing for a long period of time. So unless you're working on bending your knees on your backhand for the whole hour, it's very difficult to actually make changes to habits. Because think about it. How many times have you hit your backhand the way that you hit it currently? If you're like most of my listeners, the answer is probably tens of thousands of times. Uh, most of the listeners of this show have been playing tennis for decades already. And even if you've only been playing for a couple years or a couple months, you've already logged thousands of repetitions doing it the way that you know to do it right now. And so making a fundamental change to what your automatic habit is, your subconscious habit, I'm not talking about needing to focus on it, but replacing your old habit or your current one with something totally new and completely better takes focused repetition. It takes deliberate practice, as they say. And so instructional whack-a-mole is big thing number two that you want to watch out for. The solution is a narrow focus on one element of one stroke for a prolonged period of time. And, you know, a lot of you might be thinking, well, that's great, Ian, but what is a prolonged period of time? And that varies depending on the person, their athletic ability, their uh, co- coordination, their quality of the their focus, the quality of the time that they're spending, how many distractions there are. It depends on how deep the habit is that they're trying to replace. All of those are variables. And so to make headway, uh, you know, an excellent athlete with excellent quality focus and minimal distractions and not a very deeply grooved old habit might be able to make headway into training the new thing in 20 or 30 minutes, just focusing on one element of one stroke. I would say that for most of us, for most of my students that I'm working with remotely and I'm helping them change their habits, they're focusing on one element of one stroke for a solid 30, 45, 60 minutes at a time. And it's not all the same drill. They're kind of moving through different progressions, but it's all with that same narrow focus point, that one element of of one stroke, more times often than not. Okay, so sign number one was working on your whole game in an hour. Sign number two, a bad lesson, instructional whack-a-mole. Maybe just focusing on one stroke, but many, many different sub-elements of that one stroke. Sign number three that you're taking a poor tennis lesson is a focus on quantity over quality. Most people, coaches and players, judge how good a lesson was based on how many balls that they hit. How active were they? How many steps did they take? during the lesson. And I mean, that happens all the time where a lesson finishes and everybody like look, looks at their Fitbit and they're like, oh man, that was a great lesson. I took 5,000 steps during that lesson or however many it was or how many forehands and backhands they had. Oh man, I hit 500 forehands and 400 backhands. That was, that was an amazing lesson. I'm, I'm definitely getting better at the game of tennis. Or they're looking at how much they sweat, you know, how, how deeply they're breathing. Basically, they're equating the quantity of how many balls they hit, how high the intensity was with the quality of the lesson. Now, this is where I need to start diving into this a little bit. That's all great if your goal was to get in better shape or sharpen what you already have. And for a lot of tennis players, that is their goal. And that's fantastic. So if that's your goal in a tennis lesson is to refine the skills that you already own 
and not create fundamentally different ones. If your goal was to get a lot of activity and it was to get your heart rate up and get a lot of exercise and have a good time and kind of make jokes and and laugh and socialize while you're doing it, then that's exactly the coach and that's exactly the lesson you should be looking for. But if your goal was to become a fundamentally better tennis player, then you're wasting your time and you're wasting your energy in that type of environment. Fundamentally better means moving from one level to a completely different one, not refining and sharpening the level that you already have. And if you're, by the way, if your goal is to refine and sharpen what you already have, then again, completely fine. If you're a three, five player now, that's kind of like right around 500, meaning like you win 10 matches and you lose 10 matches. And your goal is to win 15 matches and lose five matches, and you just want to move the needle within the same level that you're already in, then awesome. You should totally look for that type of lesson that has a ton of activity, a ton of repetition, that challenges you physically and kinesthetically, kind of gets you out of your comfort zone in terms of fitness, and puts you out of your comfort zone a little bit in terms of situation, and kind of stretches you a little bit towards defensive shots so that you can practice hitting those tough shots a little bit better. That's all great. But if you're currently winning 10 matches and losing 10 matches at 3-5, and you want to win 10 matches and lose 10 matches at 4.5, then that lesson is not helping you. That lesson is not moving you closer to your goal. Because what's required is a completely different skill set. Those are completely different worlds of tennis. And becoming incrementally better at the 3-5 level will not actually get you any closer to 4-5. or five. I know that sounds like a contradictory term or contradictory phrase or description, but it's not because the best 3-5 player will never ever challenge a 4-5 or five player. They're completely different worlds of tennis. So you have to know for yourself, what is your goal really? Like how big of an improvement jump are you actually looking for here? And be honest with yourself. Uh, Again, the majority of players are totally fine doing a little bit better at the level they're already in. And so they should be seeking out those, those types of lessons. If your goal is to be completely at a completely different level than you are right now, then that doesn't happen without changing your habits and habits don't change while you're running around side to side to side after balls and doing windshield wiper drills. Habits don't change in that environment. In fact, habits become further ingrained in that environment. Not only are you not moving closer to 4-5, but you're moving further away. Even though you're becoming a stronger 3-5, you're further ingraining the base fundamental habits that you're, you're working with. Your, your, your skill set, your operating system that drives everything in your game right now is just being ironed in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper as you're doing those those you know high activity excuse me high energy level lessons so the solution here if your goal is to move from one level to a completely different one the solution is to slow down do something different than you're used to aka better a better movement a, a better way of moving your body a better technique something totally out of your comfort zone in terms of how your body is being utilized and then say right on the edge of your comfort zone by using micro challenges. I won't get into that in detail right now, but that's the solution 
to the quantity over quality mistake. And again, this is how most lessons are given. And this is what most, most tennis players want out of a lesson. So it's totally fine. But not for you if you want to play completely different tennis. So that's sign number three. Sign number four that you're taking a bad lesson for big picture development, for jumping from level to level to level, is there's no assigned homework or self-training that's being given to the student. Now, to be fair, the USPTA, United States Professional Tennis Association, that's, I started off being certified by them, and they were associated with the college uh, program at Ferris State University that I went through, which was excellent to get into the, the industry. They used to make that part of their testing and evaluation. You go out there and be tested to find out uh, if you could be a certified tennis professional or not. And I was actually on the test. Like if you didn't give homework, then you get you had like points marked down off of your evaluation. But here's the thing. Nobody actually does it. <laughs> it's very, very, very rare that a lesson ends and the coach is like, okay, so it's Monday. We just finished our lesson. Here's what I want you to do on Wednesday. Here's what I want you to do on Friday. And if you have time to get out onto the court over the weekend, keep doing drill XYZ. Now, I'm not completely blaming coaches here. Students, if they if this is their goal, if if your goal, listener, is to become a completely different player than you are right now, then you need to demand what do I do the rest of the week? Because you can't change a technique habit in one hour of training per week. And let's just say, let's say that this coach has mastered the first three mistakes. So they're working on just a single stroke in that one hour, or maybe, maybe, maybe two at the most. And within those strokes, they're only focusing on one technical change. They're not running you through the whack-a-mole merry-go-round of like, oh, don't forget about this, and don't forget about this, and don't forget about this. You're focusing on one element to try to pinpoint and change that that critical part of your forehand or your serve to, to get you on the right path to being a completely different player. And they're not buying into the quantity over quality. They use shadow swings. They'll slow down. And they're having you be very highly focused on one element at a time. But here's the thing. Even if that is your lesson, which is incredible. If you, if, if you have a coach that will do all of those things already, then amazing. But if you're just doing that for one hour a week, and then you're going out and playing two or three matches the rest of the week, and you're not doing anything else to support and reinforce that technical change, it will not become a new habit. The brain just does not work that way. Even if you didn't play any other matches, but matches are kind of, are kind of the kiss of death. If you're trying to change your service motion, and your service motion right now, you go back into a waiter tray position, your racket face opens, and you just kind of just kind of push the ball, shove the ball over into the box on the other side. And you have this goal of having a big, booming serve with tons of racket head speed and lots of kick and power, and you'll be able to hit aces and strike fear in the hearts of your opponents. If that's your goal, and you practice making that change, which is a big one, for one hour, a solid hour on Monday... What's going to happen when you go play your match on Wednesday? Do you really think you're going to stick with that new thing? No, of course not. Because when you make a change that that's that big, the ball doesn't even go over the net at first, much less in the box. 
for most people. If you're incredibly gifted athletically and in terms of coordination, maybe you can get it over the net at first, but it's not going to be reliable. You're not going to be able to aim it because it's a fundamentally different way of hitting the ball. And so when you go out and play your league match on Wednesday, what are you going to do? Are you going to double fault the whole match? Or are you just going to go back to what you know gets the ball in the box? 99% of tennis players will just go back to what they know will work because they don't want to double fault the whole match. They don't want that embarrassment. They don't want to be ashamed of their performance, even if deep down they know that it's kind of the way forwards and I'm not really going to reach my goals if I keep doing the old way. They'll just go back to it because they, they don't want to let their partner down. They don't want to let their teammates down and they don't want to, they won't, don't want to look like a crappy tennis player. And so they go back to the old way. And so a full match of repetitions later of the old way and all that practice you did on Monday has completely been erased and your brain has just further ironed in that old habit, that old movement pattern of the waiter tray position. And this is a big reason why changing tennis strokes and changing tennis habits is so incredibly difficult because players try to make changes at the same time that they're in season or they're playing matches or they're in league play. So I'm not, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you can't play matches and make changes. You can, but you have to be very mindful of the fact that when you go play a match, you're going to go back to your old habit and you have to you have to outweigh and outbalance those repetitions that are kind of keeping you stuck with highly focused, highly deliberate ones that are moving you forward in the better direction with your technique. So if you're going to play a match a week, you'd better be training your new and improved habit two or three or ideally four or five times a week would be fantastic. Most of us don't have that much time, but if you're going to play a match a week, at least twice a week, you'd better train that new thing. And it better be one stroke at a time you're focusing on and better be one element in that one stroke. And you'd better focus on quality over quantity. If all four of those things are off, then honestly, it doesn't even matter how much quantity you put in. If you're just going back to the old thing or the quality of your practice is not high, then changing to a fundamentally different level of play is going to be basically impossible. So the solution here is spend at least two to three sessions per week if you want to have it to change. And there must be more training reps of the new correct thing than what the old incorrect thing that you're doing in competition is. Hopefully that makes sense. I feel like that was kind of a confusing way of saying it, but uh, you, you, need to, you need to outweigh the old reps with the new ones. At the ver- I mean, if you need ideally need the two, three X, the number of repetitions that you do the old one with the new one to hopefully start moving in the right direction. So that's sign number four is there's no homework. Your coach at the end of your lesson should be telling you what to do during the rest of the week. If they're not assigning you anything, if there's a, just an unspoken assumption that great, you're fixed and they pat you on the head and you walk off the court you are not moving closer to your goals, period. Because if you play the rest of the week, you're doing the old habit. Unless you're being very deliberate, unless you're basically investing in a whole lot of losses in your your matches, it's extremely difficult to actually move in the right direction if you're not doing homework in addition to whatever other playing that you're doing uh, throughout the week. 
So that's number four. And finally, the fifth sign of a bad tennis lesson, if your goal is to fundamentally change from one, one level to the next, is that no video analysis is being used. If no video analysis is, is being used, then the coach is guessing. I'm guessing without video because I can't see everything that's happening with the naked eye. There are a tremendous amount of little nuances in each stroke that happen in the blink of an eye. And we literally do not have the physical capacity to be able to see everything. Now, an experienced coach can make very, very educated guesses and can get very close to the mark most of the time. But it's still much better to have all of the information. It's much better to have all of the data right there in front of you. And this is especially true if they're coaching from the other side of the net, which is the case for most coaches. From the other side of the net, a tremendous amount of information is being lost. I don't ever coach from the other side of the net anymore. Even when I'm doing a one-on-one lesson, I have a ball machine and I'm standing there next to my student with an iPad so that nothing gets past me and I know exactly the quality of the execution on every single repetition that my student is doing. And this, to me, this is just non-negotiable. Now, again, if the goal of the lesson is activity, if it's Uh, quantity over quality, if it's exercise, then none of this matters. But if you're still listening to my voice right now, then it does matter to you. And so you need to demand that video is being used. And frankly, you need to demand for yourself that you take the plunge and you do video if you haven't done it already. Because just as the coach is guessing what might be happening from the other side of the net with no video, the student is also guessing. You are guessing. If you're not getting video feedback, then that means you're relying on your internal experience of what you think is happening as you swing the racket. And if you're an excellent athlete and you're very well coordinated and you have a high level of kinesthetic awareness, that means you have an excellent sense of what your body is doing and when, and this is not a lot of people, by the way, the, the person that I'm describing, these people are out there, but it's not a lot of people. Even with those things, there is a gap between your perception and what's actually happening. I have yet to teach a student that there wasn't a perception gap between what they thought they were doing, what they felt they were doing, what they in their soul knew they were doing, but what was actually happening. And so one of the biggest benefits for me as a coach with the iPad, with the video, is that instant um, assurance or the instant proof that, no, you're not doing what you think you're doing. Or, amazing, like you're, you feel, you're kind of guessing right now, you're searching it out, but look, look, it looks amazing. The, the way you're doing it right now is exactly what we want. Keep doing it that way. There is no guessing as the student when video is being used. You might think that it's easy to trust your sensations, like your, your physical capacity. Just don't do it. Uh, it, it will lead you astray. It, it happens for me in my own game. It happens with every single student I've ever taught. The solution is to just use video. The coach should not be guessing if the coach knows that the player's goal is to su- substantially change their habits and become a substantially better player. And the student should not be guessing either and relying on their internal experience if their goal is to make 
substantial changes and substantial improvements. It's too easy to fool yourself as the coach and the student without the verification and objective look of video. So those are the five signs of a bad lesson. Number one, working on your entire game in 60 minutes. Number two, instructional whack-a-mole. Even if one stroke is being focused on, it's just a merry-go-round of, oh, don't forget about this, don't forget about this, and round, around, and around from a different focus point to different focus point. Number three, a focus on quantity over quality. Number four, there's no assigned homework or self-training for the rest of the week. It's just kind of assumed that, oh, the fix is done in that one hour each week. Number five, no video analysis is being used. Now, I want to I wrap this up by, again, being very clear here. The majority of tennis players want these tennis lessons. They want a lesson with no video. They want a lesson with no homework. They want a lesson with quantity and not quality. They want a lesson where the target's always moving and their interest is always being <laughs> kept like a, like a cat with a laser pointer. And they want a lesson that jumps from stroke to stroke to stroke because, again, their attention span is relatively short. It might sound like I'm being condescending here, but, but I'm actually not. Most players just don't want to be challenged in these ways, and that's totally fine, and it's, it's great. Like I'm, I'm thrilled that players love the game just for the exercise and the activity and the socialization. That's great. Those players need those types of of coaches. They should be able to find a coach that provides exactly that type of lesson that makes them happy and fulfilled and satisfied on the court. But players who want the opposite, I believe, should also be able to find a coach who's excellent at providing all those other things, providing video analysis and all the four other signs. If your goal is to become a fundamentally different and better player, but you can't find a coach that provides a service that actually moves you in that direction and down that path, then you kind of get left all alone and you get, you feel like you're being left out in the cold. Everybody else is laughing and giggling and having a good time, which is great for them, but it doesn't help you reach the goals that you want. And I understand that frustration. That's how I felt in a normal club environment. Like I, I'm clearly, my brain is wired for a certain type of analysis and focus and a certain type of service. And that's what I love to do. And it was very hard for me to find players that wanted that service. And so that's why I started Essential Tennis. And that's why hardly any of our students are from Wisconsin. We're based in Wisconsin but 95% of our students come from other states or even other countries. And that's because it's very difficult for players to find what I'm describing in their local area from their, their local coaches. And so they come to Wisconsin instead to get what they're looking for. And I hope that as we continue to publish content, as we continue to help educate players and and help educate coaches and the other, you know, better ways of helping make improvements that this becomes more and more normal. But I just want to be, you know, doubly clear that I'm not being critical or judgmental or condescending to coaches or players. There's a huge need for those types of lessons. It's just not what we do. It's not what we enjoy doing. 
and it's it's not what we want to it's not how we want to spend our time <laughs> so with that i'll sign off for today thank you for listening hopefully this was helpful hopefully it gave you some ideas and some insights uh, make sure to go subscribe to the shank cast at essentialtennis.com slash shank or by doing a search for ShankCast on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Go check that out. I'll be talking to you again in the next episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.